I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Satan, you bow your knee. Satan, you bow your knee. You fall on your face. You fall on your face. Hello, folks, people, everyone out there of all ages. Uh, It's me, Jeremy. And I know that last week I said uh, everything would be back to its normal scheduled programming, Um, but (laughs) it's not. I'm here to tell you that we have one more week where we don't have the silly, fun, good times that we're trying to bring you for these Feel Good Friday episodes with me, Brian Taylor, and... Lauren, um, so, all right, let me lay this out for you. Um, I know that over the last five years, you know, if you've been listening to this podcast for quite a while, um, you, you really get to know, uh, the three of us, Brian, Taylor, and myself, and you're slowly getting to know Lauren and it's a very like personal, um, experience and, um, and so I think I would be doing myself a disservice if I, if I didn't kind of lay this out there. But uh, the reason why we aren't going to be bringing to you uh, the, the host section of our Feel Good Friday this week is because um, our whole schedule got f- fucking fucked fucked uh, because unfortunately I unexpectedly had to go to PEI this past weekend um, because my dog Bigby, uh, he was really sick and we, uh, Bridie and I had to put Bigby down. So you might've heard Bigby over the years, uh, snorking away and snoring and farting in the background. Um, and, uh, that will no longer be a thing. Uh, but, but having said that, and as sad as that truly is, um, we, I feel really fortunate, really grateful. We had a really wonderful, we gave him one last weekend on PEI and, um, we fed him probably about a hundred Timbits and he was very loved and he had a really wonderful weekend. And, um, on Monday, this Monday, uh, we, we said goodbye to our, our nine-year-old, almost nine-year-old big 
muffin of a dog. So um, very sad, uh, but again, you know, it's it's one of the reasons why our schedule is all fucked up this week. So I apologize for that. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into, you know, at, at, next week, I'm sure as a group, we'll get into talking about, you know, grief when it comes to pets, because holy shit, folks, man, I've never been through that before. And, um, it was, it's really intense. It's really real. You know, it's, it's as, it's as intense as, as losing, um, you're losing your best friend. You know, it's a really, really intense experience. Um, but like I said, I'm really grateful we gave him uh, a really special weekend. And oh, I also I, I I would be I would be remiss if I didn't also say a huge thank you to the literally the hundreds of you that um, had personally reached out uh, to me over Instagram to share your kind words. I, I it was overwhelming um, to say the least. And I, I'm, if I don't get back to you, I'm sorry. There's, there's so many messages that came in and they were all so sweet. And I swear to God, I've read every single one of them. I just, I just don't have the, I don't have the capacity to reach out to, uh, to everyone to say thank you. So I'm saying it here. So thank you so much. If you sent something, <clears throat> if you sent words of, of, um, caring words or loving words to me, um, I, I, I've read every single word and I relate a lot of those words to Bridie as well. Okay. So having said that, it's not all gloom and doom. We're still going to bring you the feel goods on the feel good Friday, uh, because we are back with a conversation with our good friend, Dr. Graham Dallaire, um, Delaire is, you might remember, we were talking to uh, Mr. Delaire a few weeks back about CRISPR. So this guy knows his shit. He's a real smart guy doctor. And uh, this week, so uh, about a week ago or so, uh, Dr. Delaire slipped into the DMs on my Twitter, and he sent me this, this, uh, this study that he had written um, here, let me bring it up here. Can I find it before I, he, he wrote me this, this study that he's been working on, which is all about COVID. Uh, this is, this is not feel good Friday material. It's kind of a bummer, but it's COVID potentially spreading to marine mammals. Uh, the, the study is called, I found it right here. Nice, Jeremy. You're so good at Googling stuff. Pandemic danger to the deep. The risk of marine mammals contracting SARS-CoV-2 from wastewater. Holy shit. Dr. Delaire knows his stuff. This is a fascinating conversation. And, um, uh, you know, talking about feeling grateful. I just feel so grateful to have the opportunity to sit down and talk to people like Mr. Delaire. Because this is just a fascinating conversation about the implications of a global pandemic and how it's not just affecting us and how it can affect, um, you know, a lot of the other living creatures that we share this planet with. So super fascinating stuff. Uh, Delaire knows his shit and we don't know a goddamn thing. So if you want to learn something new and you want to have a really fun ride, buckle up because here we go. Enjoy this week's Feel Good Friday. Next week, I fucking promise you, we will be back. 
to our regular scheduled programming. I hope you're having an amazing day, and I love each and every one of you, and uh, we'll see you on the other side. are back with Dr. Graham Dallaire, <laughs> professor of pathology Smart at Dalhousie University, studies evolutionary molecular biology. There's a lot of a lot of ologies, oologies, boologies in that. I like that. I like the sounds of this. Uh, Dr. Dallaire, it's a, a pleasure. You know what? I'm going to say this. It's a pleasure to have you back, but also I'm fucking bummed to have you back because uh, <laughs> I, I thought you were going to I thought you were going to say we were here to uh, talk about beluga G's. Oh, hey. Hey, oh, hey, Brian. Look at you trying, working on our, uh, our segues. I'm just trying, trying my best. <laughs> uh, I feel like this is going to be, a, um, I feel like this might be a bit of a bummer conversation, but it's too fascinating not to chuck into a Feel Good Friday. And, uh, and of course, uh, Graham, every time, or we've only done it once, but the last time we sat down with you, it was such a, such a fucking treat. Uh, that we figured, well, let's do it again, but this time talk about something completely different, which mm-hmm. is COVID and marine mammals. Yeah, yeah. So this is uh, this is what happens when you're not in the lab for four months. You start you start, <laughs> start making about... you start making shit up. <laughs> <laughs> Some people might think that. Yeah. So so we Dalhousie is an absolute hub of virus research. I mean, one of the top. Uh, uh, centers for virology uh they've been working on it for some time and recruiting in that area we have people like dr allison kelvin who's working on vaccines with intervac in in saskatchewan so you know there's the buzz of trying to understand covid19 and many groups working on covid19 in nova scotia government also put quite a bit of money uh to to look into uh different aspects of covid19 and um we also have colleagues who work on uh, marine biology and oceans and Dalhousie is very well known for that as well. And so it's that coalescence of just being in the environment mm. and then, you know, having someone who, who, you know, is interested in science in general and research in general and really good at, at making connections and generalizing. So what happened was there was a study that said that uh, you, you could, first of all, measure virus load for, for COVID-19. So it's a SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And this is related to that SARS virus that we had the outbreak in 2003 in, in Toronto. And uh, again, probably coming from a bat and then jumping to humans at some point. And um, this virus uses uh, a, a protein called the angiotensin converting enzyme 2 or ACE2 receptor to enter cells. And so um, you know, some people at Dow in, in oceans and, and water treatment were looking at, you know, is virus in water? And, and there's, there's a study uh, that was out of Paris saying that before they had a big spike in ICU cases, about 14 days beforehand, they could measure virus RNA in wastewater and in, and in rivers and things like that. Huh. And then there was stories coming out of China and preprints. And, you know, so they have these preprint servers now. So information is coming up very fast on COVID-19. Wait, wait. So are you saying that are you saying that when you say they measure the virus in the wastewater, 
you're saying that they could potentially look at like the volume of wastewater coming into a sewage system, measure yep. it and see what the viral load is in that and determine possibly how many people in the city are infected with the virus. Yeah, exactly. So, so Whoa. this is the misunderstanding that, that we initially had about this virus is that we're thinking, oh, it's just 100% a respiratory virus. But it turns out that this ACE2 receptor that we talked about is on many different tissues in your body. So it's in your liver, your kidneys, your blood uh, vessels, right? So a lot of things we're hearing about uh, side effects of getting this virus have to do with blood vessels and have to do with clotting factors and have to do with your heart. What also turns out that particularly in children, they get diarrhea and, and they get infection of the epithelial cells in their colon. And so for children in particular, there's a really high viral load in the intestine and that's coming out in the feces. And there were studies in China saying that there were neighborhoods where they had a broken sewage main and people were walking through virus-laden sewage water and bringing it into their homes. And they think some of the spread had happened because of sewage. So, Whoa. you know, so the first thing is, wow. can, you know, you can monitor a spike in cases by monitoring pathogens that are excreted in your feces that end up in, in the sewage system. And the, the detection methods are so good that you can detect this and you see a spike. Uh, and they're now trying to learn, like, what does that mean? And then, you know, epidemiologically, it means you're going to see a lot of cases soon. I mean, uh, it's not unlike uh, the connection where, I, again, Halifax, I think, and Montreal had the dubious extinction of being distinction of being um, the 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 municipalities with the highest levels of marijuana uh, uh, showing up in, in Canada, showing up in in the sewage. I didn't right? know you as a measure, measure of how much <laughs> weed that your your city's actually <laughs> right. using. So. Wow. So yeah. so COVID, so COVID COVID can live in poop. It, it's not it, yeah. So it survives apparently. It survives so, so, in poop. So okay. So these papers were coming out. And then another thing that came out was saying that not only does it you know you can measure the RNA, but there's live virus in wastewater. Holy shit! Well, it's you're bringing me back to uh, you, it's you bringing me back your, to March and April when when right? we were like when we were going yeah. every every day we were going this is new this is new this is yeah, new how does right? it transmit how does it how does it stay in the does it stay in the air does it stay on surfaces like yeah. this is kind of uh it, how and i haven't heard anything i haven't heard anything about about this why is this why has this not made some of the news in the way that some of these other things like wh whether it lives on surfaces and how it moves through the air like that seems to be the thing that you hear of the most and sure. we hear all the time why is this not being mm. disseminated as as heavily well, well, first, first of all, um, unlike your your behind, <laughs> most people are going to be transmitting it to each other through uh, respiration. And I mean, it de depends on what you're uh, into. Yeah, well, <laughs> great, great. Uh, uh, ass, e ass eating season is coming up, and, uh, <laughs> and you heard it here first, folks. It's got to be. It's canceled this year. <laughs> ass eating season <laughs> is over. If you're a child and you what got a diaper. There's an exposure possible, possible right? Oh, yeah, uh, right? And then, right, right. and then there's the sewage. So, like, if you have a sewage leak, I mean, uh, here in Halifax, you, you know, if you ever walk across a piece of pavement and there's a, there's like literally a line of flies, mm -hmm. and you're like, what the hell is yeah. that? That's usually a broken sewer main that's going oh, back to, out to the water. Yeah, so whoa. it's cracked. So they're they're just going, hey, methane, and they're they're floating yeah. right over top of where that line is. Well, uh, I imagine, I imagine, I, I'm, I'm thinking of. Um, 
uh, one of the episodes, there's a three part series on Bill Gates and, and, um, and this is not just, I'll, I'll just throw this out there. This is not, I'm not going to talk about Bill Gates, uh, taking over the world and, and microchipping all of us. Um, allegedly, <laughs> allegedly. allegedly. I thought that was Elon. <laughs> that's, that's Elon. Um, He's got the pigs covered. That's so right. Far. That's right. But there was a three part series on, uh, I, on maybe it's Netflix and it was called inside Bill's brain and it focused on all the little things that Bill Gates is trying to, the three main things that Bill Gates is basically using his his expertise oh, yeah. and his money yeah, to, he loves to poop problems that he loves to solve and one of them was waste uh, yeah. waste wastewater and and w- was waste and and also producing clean water from waste um and the the biggest challenge was in the was in these um like you know extreme extremely poor areas in um mm-hmm. in Africa specifically where where wastewater was being um where waste was being dumped and then the water was being collected downstream from that and you know you were seeing high rates of illness um, in those places. Are, are those are those the places? Are those the types of places where this is the most concerning, or is this something that that you know us in Halifax or you know? Yeah. So so I'll outline it for you. So yeah. so did we definitely so we're our colleagues Graham Gagnon and Amina Stoddart who are co-authors on this paper that has led to this discussion that we have in BioX Archive right now um, about you know pandemic dangers to the deep. Uh, you know, there is a lot of data on whether municipalities have primary, secondary, tertiary treatment of sewage, right? So in third world countries, that's not even primary. So so it's just raw sewage. Um, in, in next level up is primary treatment. So that's where you might have either a settling pond or lagoon. And in our study, we looked at a lot of that going on in Alaska. So So they're not actually physically filtering it. They're just pumping it into a lagoon and letting the solids settle. And then what happens is you sometimes with a big runoff, even in Halifax, right? We have mostly primary treatment here. There's probably some secondary treatment, but I'm not that well aware uh, of how that works. But but definitely when there's a big rainfall, um, the raw sewage and everything is just overcomes the system and goes straight into the ocean. Oh, so wow. so that's one possibility. So even if you've got primary secondary treatment, that's happening. Now as far as live virus. The data out there says that that you remove only about 20% with primary treatment um, that you would see in raw sewage. And Oof. then in secondary treatment, it's like 80% gone. And then tertiary treatment, uh, or if you've got ozonation or UV irradiation. So some municipalities have that, especially if they're trying to recycle gray water and stuff for use right. in the house. Um, those, there's no virus now. Ozone will get rid of 99% of the, of the pathogens. So it's really, as you say, that third world countries or areas that are using lagoons or primary treatment only mm-hmm. that, that you could get a lot of virus potentially if there's, again, it's connected to the outbreak that's happening. So, so you need, you know, a couple components, you need uh, uncontrolled and widespread outbreak and everyone you know, excreting it into their feces and it going into the sewage system. And then that sewage water making it into a river or tributary and then eventually into the ocean. Right. And then you think, oh, well, that big deal, it's going to get diluted, right? Yeah, I, I get right. this all the time. So everyone I talk to, it's like, oh, it's going to get Yeah, like how could diluted. it survive that, that long? Exactly. So the data of- out there is that even in seawater, uh, depending on the temperature, the virus can survive for 10 to 25 days. Whoa. I know, right? That's my point. So, so this is where we connected and went, wow, oh, okay. No. So imagine a coastal region where you have lots of municipalities, like let's say Wuhan province in China, and you have multiple municipalities in that area where all the waste is just flowing into the Yangtze. Oh, no. And you have COVID like crazy. 
So in our paper, right at the top of our like most endangered, so the, there's a white dolphin or the badgie that is functionally extinct, and that's in the Yangtze. That runs right through Wuhan. Oh, no. That animal is predicted to be very susceptible already because it has a very similar ACE2 receptor to, to humans. So, so cetaceans, whales in general, um, dolphins, sea otters, they all have a really similar uh, receptor to humans. Um, what happens when they get COVID? <laughs> so we don't know, right? And, and it's not right. ethical to go, and, like, go to your local aquarium and go, Hey, let's infect the balloon. Well, I'm so I'm so sad because you know what? I'm just realizing I just got back from. We all took a little vacation over the last uh, week or so, and and I I took my vacation around the Gaspé Peninsula, and we went across the Saint Lawrence River into Tadoussac, where there's a ton of whales there, and you can go up uh, the Saguenay Fjord, and there's uh, all these belugas there, and I went to see them, and I didn't see any of them, and so they all must have COVID, right? <laughs> no, but there was a big dieback. Okay, you probably saw it. You probably saw it. Hundreds of seals, harp seals, which come from that region, washed up in Cape Breton. No. Dead. Oh wow, really? Dude, we're, Jer- yes. Jer- we're Jer- waiting on the necropsy, and Quebec, as far as COVID cases, is basically on fire. Right. Uh, it's one of the worst jurisdictions after Ontario. Right. I was. I, is the this, assumption this, that there that it's. That no. It's co- okay. well, no, I'm just throwing well, it out there that it's, yeah. it's you know, using this pun, it's fishy. But it is an interesting coincidence. And, and so when you're asking about, like, mm. is this even possible? The evidence that we talk about in the paper is the following. There have been coronavirus outbreaks in beluga whales, in sea lions, and in dolphins. Mm. Uh, and sea otters have had, uh, both sea otters and sea lions have had influenza. And the, the coronaviruses are a related family of coronaviruses called um, gamma coronaviruses. And they, so definitely these animals can get coronaviruses. Um, the SARS-CoV-2 that causes COVID-19 is a beta coronavirus. So, so far, there's no evidence of beta coronaviruses found naturally in these populations, but they're predicted to be susceptible because the receptor they need to get into the virus needs to get into the those animal cells is really similar to the human one in the so key it, residues. Is it Sorry, is it like ahead. is it hypothetical that that um, the receptor is the same like this virus jumped from sure, a bat yeah. to a person? Like is it is it definitely gonna jump to marine mammals with similar re- okay, receptors? So gonna, or is it like, out, yeah I'll lay out the evidence for that. So if you look, so there's a crystal structure for this ACE2 receptor and the spike protein, which is the protein on the virus that's required to enter a cell. So you can think of it like a, the lock is the ACE2 on the human cell and the spike protein is the key. Now they've mapped the, the amino acids or the, the components of the protein that need to interact that make up that lock and key. Okay. So for humans, you could take that as like your base binding and they know that these residues are important. When they look at cats, it's actually pretty good binding, and they're predicted to be susceptible. They were shown to be susceptible. We have a paper published where we showed that uh, we predict that large cats, like uh, tigers and lions, would be susceptible. Mm -hmm. And wouldn't you know it, the gameskeeper infected a tiger at uh, the Bronx Zoo, and COVID-19 can jump to these cats, and they can spread it to each other. Dogs, on the other hand, have a key mutation that reduces the binding. So when we model this, it's what's called free energy. So if you remember any of your chemistry 
Uh, you know, if you pulled the, the, the book from under your bed, if you ever yeah, did totally. a science totally. undergrad. Nope. Totally. Okay. Understand. I'm, so, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you get what I'm saying. So, Child, so child's play, child's play. Sure. So it's the energy required to, to, you know, it's lower energy to bind than it is not to be bound. So um, basically the, the energy required for these things to interact is, is enough to destabilize the interaction. Now it turns out that, that ferrets aren't predicted to have a great binding compared to cats but they do get infected by the virus, right? So like dogs can have an immune response but don't seem to have productive infection. Cats get infected, can spread it to each other. And so we're kind of using this modeling to suggest that this is likely. Right. And in primates, it's absolutely likely. And that's mm. another thing that we're worried about is spread to the wild populations of non-human primates on the planet. So plus, we can't, another... plus we can't get them to wear masks. Yeah, exactly, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, well, let, and, a, let, and a cat with a mask is just stupid. So. Let, let, yeah. I mean, I don't know, it sounds kind of cute. Uh, let, let's just, okay, so, so, so coming back to then, you know, um, so it's plausible. Like, like it's pl- yeah. it wouldn't yeah, okay. be surpri- it wouldn't be surprising if if you let, saw. Let's it. say let's say Flipper got COVID, no. and and poor fucking Flipper, and and he uh, uh, or she what, 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 flip. They were fl- they were fl- they're, they're in the ocean and they're they're playing with their other dolphin friends. You know, we 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 spread COVID by coughing and droplets. But also by and, shitting, and uh, yeah, just and, yeah, yeah, and shit. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So, so how how would how would Flipper give it to to Willie? So, so I, they could it could be respiratory still. They still are in contact with the water, and mm. you know, all animals right, poop. Right, so, right. so they do get access. To, yeah. So in our paper, we we talk about like how you know just like how you swab a human. How do you do that to like a beluga whale or a gray whale? And it, in the wild, right? And is yeah. that even something you should do? And it turns out that they already sample the the mucus from the blowhole of of gray whales using something called Snotbot. Whoa, cool! Which oh, is man. a drone <laughs> that literally flies over them and grabs oh, it, and wow. and so you can totally do that. What? Um, yeah. That's crazy. And, like, and, and like, saying, like, like, are you talking like a drone flying over the blowhole? Actual drone, and the guys who do this are professional drone flyers. Like, wow. there's a whole thing about this. They're like the Top Gun of oh, that's drone cool, flyers. dude. Maver- a bunch of Mavericks guys, like Icemans flying. Like, these things have to go fast. Like, you're you're flying yeah. like a very yeah. fast drone, and you got to keep up with the whale, and then oh just my wait, god, and catch it. So is dude, that so? When video doing here, the... There's a video of Snapbot. So so yeah, there should be a video somewhere. Yeah. Is there is there something? I mean. As humans, especially you know, living living in urban centers, even like a small urban center like Halifax, where we're interacting, we're going to restaurants, we're going to places where there's places where where communities are are cross uh, cross crossing paths all the time. In marine life, is there is there not a lot less of that? Do they tend to s- stick to their own? Do they travel and? Oh, in- they're highly social. So so dolphins swim in pods. Yeah. Whales are in groupings, uh, like orcas. Uh, you know, you've seen them. They're they're usually four or five. They'll be them. You know, the, the mm. babies and the mom and the dad. Uh, but but probably the ones that are scarier, and then they then they're the ones that really can spread it to other marine life. Are sea lions, sea otters, seals, because they're up on the beach. And not only that, but just think, like here in Halifax, if you want to go swimming, are you going to swim off of Dingle Beach? No. 
no, because you're going to come out with like Impetago or something, right? <laughs> uh, and that's for real. Any listeners, don't swim off of, of Dingle Beach and Duly wash noted. your shoes, dude. Yeah. Whoa, so, really? so, and, and so now think of that. The pathogens from the sewage that goes into the arm is collecting and concentrating on the coastline. Brian, where are the sea Brian. lions, where are the sea Brian. otters, and where are the seals? They're Brian. floating around and frolicking and basically human pathogens. Oh, from Brian, dude. We, we have to stop paddle boarding there, dude. I know. I that, oh, no. no you, just need to extra, you just need to be extra careful about yeah, getting watch, in the water. Yeah, touching we the both, bottom we, of our boards and yeah, then but, touching yeah, our faces. We, we, like, we'll, we'll both take a dip and get cold together. But Brian like grew, it, up in, yeah. you know, grew up on, on Lake Banook where you're basically not allowed to swim in the water for half, yeah. of, the, half of the summer when... Those. Oh, I've shit in I've shit in Lake Minook several times. <laughs> exactly. But, exactly. But, or you could, or I don't know if you watched Joe Rogan recently, but uh, they had David Blaine on there, and he talked yeah. about oh how God, swallowing dude. frogs, he gave himself salmonella like four times, and now he's yeah. immune. Now he's immune. Yeah. So he can lick frogs, you know, at least at least check and he, salmonella. And he's never out there. killed a frog before by eating them. Okay. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> okay, but wait. So, so do we know how um, COVID nineteen would affect marine mammals? Though, would it actually okay. like kill them? Yes. Yeah, so so um, could be mild disease. Okay, so like cats get COVID nineteen, but like they get the sniffles. That's about it. Um, uh, last year, uh, four dolphins in San Diego Bay got a coronavirus, not SARS CoV two, but they got another one, and it gave them diarrhea. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl. Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. What is another cor- coronavirus and why don't we know anything about that? We Why do. do we not we know do. about these other coronaviruses? There's a lot of coronaviruses. There's a lot In animal yeah. species, there are a lot of coronaviruses. There are major uh, species of virus. Yeah. You knew this, Tay. We, we covered this. That yes, I know that there are multiple coronaviruses, but but when I think, but so my 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 brain goes, oh, the last coronavirus was SARS. That's like obviously yeah. that's what obviously, about MERS. Do you remember that one? Yes, I do, I do remember MERS. That was, yeah. was per, that was predominantly in the Middle East, right? Or was it? Or did, did it spread out of the outside of the Middle uh, East? I think there were. It might have made it to Germany. But um, that, like, it, th- those yeah. are those are those are the ones that I know about. But I mean, it just sounded like you really casually tossed out, like, "Hey, this other coronavirus that just never." Well, I think jumped, I think a common never... cold could be a, a coronavirus. Yeah, there are right? four. There are four other uh, coronaviruses that are circulating in the human population, and they cause mild disease. But the kind of scary thing is, we only knew about them since the 1980s. So we don't know. They've not, so what's happened? Okay, if we want to back up and go like, how did we get here? Um, this has been a slow progression that started with agricultural revolution. Okay, mm-hmm. right. 10 or 15,000 years or whatever it was. And you, you move forward. And and as soon as you have like encroachment on new ecosystems, you're going to start interacting with things that you're not ever evolved to handle. And so when these viruses jump, whether they're HIV or there, uh, or, or there are these coronaviruses. As we move into these different environments, we expose to more things. Now, the second component that makes that likely is when you have a reservoir of animals that are highly social, allowing 
you know, hundreds or thousands of years of hyper evolution of the virus interacting with the host. And so in bats, the reason why this, these beta coronaviruses are so vicious is that the bats have evolved. So, I, you know, I'm a huge proponent that if we're going to work on zoonoses and, and to be frank, so this is zoonoses is a virus and an animal that jumps to humans. Okay. Gotcha. Um, if we're going to work on pandemics and all of them are pretty much zoonoses. Okay. So you have a human population that's not used to a new pathogen, it hops into the pathogen, it runs wild. And it's because it's not adapted to keep the host alive, right? It's not got there yet. But in bats, I mean, bats carry rabies. Bats carry uh, influenza. They carry coronaviruses. They don't get sick, and they're highly social, and they're really spreading it because they've co-evolved with these viruses. And so they have mm. a very different immune system, which we're only beginning to understand. Mm. And, you know, I've written grants on this. They've not been funded. I think that's um, an area <laughs> that we really need to get into. But people, you know, are so hyper-focused on like, ah, panic. We're, you know, we got to find cures right now and not understanding like the whole concept of how zoonoses happened in the first place. Mm. Because this is going to just keep repeating. And if we don't, if we don't start fixing some of the other components, like, can we, I, I mean, this is this whole thing going back to economics and, and talking more about sustainability rather than. So, do you, so do you are you advocating for. Will, will stay like, do you think, do you think funding will funding for those things will change now that we well, are in a place? I, I where... hope so. I mean, I, I, I have a colleague who also put in a grant on bats and viruses and didn't get funded and, and hopefully, you know, the, the people are more aware. It's just becoming aware that this is important. I mean, unfortunately, scientists, just like everyone else, are not always open to brand new ideas. They don't necessarily see the connection right away mm. or so why are, that's important. So are you advocating for, um, for herd immunity and for the weak to die off? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I think that, that when you look at the math on that, that's really, really kind of like scary that you need 60% of the population uh, infected to produce any kind of herd immunity. Um, no. I, I am curious though, you know, coming back to, uh, if the, um, if four the, golf, vaccines if, if the, yeah, I, th I think so are we, except for Taylor mostly, uh, he also believes to, the earth is flat. So whatever. Flat, but we don't, we, that's another, that's another podcast. Um, uh, coming back to, you know, Willie and, 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 um, and flipper getting COVID can yeah. we, I mean, we don't have a vaccine for us yet, but like. Can we try say it we them? get say we get that figured out. And we're like, okay, we got human, we got the human vaccine. We can do it up with the humans. But then, but then we realize that, like, oh fuck, there's a there's a there's like a human uh, level 2020 COVID outbreak happening under the ocean as well to all these critters. Um, it, like, can you vaccinate? And how the fuck do you vaccinate under the ocean? You know, so, like so again, like you know, we're in Halifax and everything oceans. And it turns out that in the '90s, um, when we had a, a seal population explosion on Sable Island, uh, researchers figured out that they could vaccinate these seals with uh, a vaccine that would make them basically sterile. So it, it would make the females uh, produce an immune response to the male sperm, and then they don't get pregnant. So that's what we have to do for humans now <laughs> to make sure we don't. Sure. I mean, that's, gotcha, yeah, gotcha, that would gotcha. be a scary thing. Gotcha, uh, gotcha, but, gotcha. but that the same vaccine technology, you know, this is the beautiful thing, like of, of, of when you've been funding research in one area over a sustained period of time, you get these wonderful things that happen. So mm. early research funded by the, the Natural Sciences and Engineering Research Council of Canada, which, by the way, is a wonderful agency that funds like 70% of the grants that they get. 
you don't get a lot of money, but they broadly fund. Okay, so broad portfolio of funding. From that funding led to a vaccination program for SEALs. That technology led to the establishment of a company called Immuno Vaccine. You may have heard of Immuno Vaccine because they're now called IMV. They're generating the only all made in Canada vaccine for COVID-19. Oh, wow. So not only do you have the company that developed it in Halifax, funded by the Canadian system, but if they ever needed to vaccinate SEALs with their vaccine, for example, they know that's how to the do whole it. technology platform that they <laughs> right. started the company in the first place. Right, right, so, right. This, so this is this connection where you've got to fund research broadly on basic research because you don't know when that tool set, tool set and those that knowledge is going to be useful in the future. And here you have this, this perfect circle of life that's happened where it's come right back down to COVID-19 vaccinations and it might go back to the SEALs. I have a, I have a question about um, kind of coming back to the conversation that we had about CRISPR and um, the importance of like, I guess the, the importance of individual um, animals within their ecosystem. So we were talking about like, if you kill off all mosquitoes, for example, or make all mosquitoes sterile so that they don't, create more mosquitoes in a region um that's great because there's no mosquitoes anymore but what effect does that have on the ecosystem at large and it's hard to understand that i guess without really testing it is there any risk at like eliminating a virus completely and you know we see it as a benefit as we got to get rid of this virus because it's killing a bunch of people but is there any like larger purpose that the virus could play that is important for the survival of an ecosystem as a whole. I mean, that that is an interesting point. But then from the human perspective, do you want polio coming back? Uh, do no. we do we see this? <laughs> Probably no. And I, I would say ostensibly we're doing pretty good without polio. Mm, so yeah. um, we're doing do, pretty good without smallpox. Do we see that in something like the common cold, like where the common cold provides something you know, it goes around it because I, I do agree. I think that's an interesting question, but I've never thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I and then I obviously immediately see your point, Graham, and go, <laughs> yeah. yes, yeah. no, no, thanks, polio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in something more like inconsequential, inconsequential to um, to, you know, like generally young, healthy adults. Um, Oh, let's, uh, uh, we'll back up on that because that's on, a on misconception. The, on the on the flu, I mean, sorry, with the okay. with the with the common with the with like the yeah. common flu. Where I don't think we should take this COVID nineteen uh, flippantly that that you have mild disease and yeehaw, who cares? Because if you're ready to hear that, are you ready to hear this now? Cause, well, I I, I am in, in just in just a yeah. moment because I, I I do I didn't mean that, but I do want to go go into that go on to that mm-hmm. um, and something that like. Does the common flu that what I when I say is rather inconsequential to somebody like me who's like a healthy thirty year old but wouldn't be for you know Jer is much more compromised for me and somebody who's you know maybe in their seventies or eighties is obviously a lot more compromised than some in a small child does something like the common flu provide something to us that is of benefit like to Brian's question about, about it providing something um, that we don't want to take away. So certainly having childhood diseases does lead to having a healthier immune system. So whether you're vaccinated and you're still making those antibodies or you're exposed to these pathogens when you're young, that leads to all kinds of interesting cross immunity and immunological changes that are important in you just surviving to adulthood. Um, you know, so initially you're getting some help from your mom, 
so a lot of antibodies and things and antivirals are actually passed through mother's milk into your digestive tract so you're not going to die of dysentery as a as a baby um, so you know there, there's those aspects right and those are the, that fits in with this idea now that with the development of the microbiome which by the way is not just bacteria it's also viruses and phage which are viruses that infect bacteria mm -hmm. so so these are all and fungi you've also got fungi everywhere too so we're, we're, we're coexisting with all these microorganisms there's two sides to that coin. One is that you need to have an immune response, but not so bad that you get inflammatory conditions. And that's like what we're talking about IBS in children uh, and IBS in adults, where you have a, basically an immune response to, to, they're not pathogenic, they're normal commensal, normal bacteria and fungi and viruses that you have as a normal human, but your immune response to them is aberrant and then it leads to leaky gut. And then you get peptides entering the bloodstream that shouldn't be there. And then you get autoimmunity. Uh, rearing its head. So, so having these exposures is kind of baked in to having a healthy immune system, mm -hmm. but that's not alleviated. Those impacts are not necessarily alleviated for all the other things that you get as a kid that are not going to kill you, but that are common colds and things like that. And so you could argue that getting influenza uh, at a young age where it's tolerated is actually important part of programming your immune system for later in life. So you can survive a very serious influenza outbreak mm -hmm. later. And vaccines kind of fulfill some of that at the same mm -hmm. time. So ears open, bubble doing, wrap parents, bubble sure. wrap parents, <laughs> yeah. open your ears. But, but I'd always say that there are two things that you can't be knee jerk about and you have to like listen to all the data and you have to be open to changing your mind. One is how the hell the brain functions and mental uh, illness and, and dementia. Um, and the second one is our immune system. So we're, we're just continue. I mean, we're just scratching the surface, just like we're scratching mm. the surface and understanding the brain mm. and understanding how, you know, for example, just to kind of blow your mind a little bit, yes, the runner's high that you get. Okay. Those are endorphins and dopamine, stuff like that. A lot of it is because you're in pain and your body's trying to actually stop the pain. Um, but there's also the fact that you're generating lactic acid and you have bacteria in your gut that use lactic acid. And then later they produce molecules that make you want to go run. There's an interaction between the bugs in your, in your, your colon. They're like, I like that. Dude, They're like, I, I like that. that. More lactic yeah. acid. please. Wow, so cool. you'll actually want to go run. Like you'll feel irritable. You'll, you'll need to go run. And Trippy. so they're seeing that in people who are Whoa. regular runners, like marathon runners, that they actually Very have a change neat. in their microbiome. I feel that all the, t I actually feel that in my life. I find if I'm, if I don't bike frequently enough, I can feel it that I need to, like, I need mm. to, it's a, yeah, it's like a bubbling. Your, your yeah. mood is wrong. And yeah. So oh, it's not crazy. just your crazy. brain chemistry, but it's this crosstalk of, you know, this other side of you, right? Like everything living, <laughs> uh, on you. <laughs> Wow. That's communicating back to your brain. That's uh, so hit that's us crazy. So hit us now with the with with what you were going to touch on before the the you know yeah. The, so the whole it, so when we talk of... about mild disease and and transmission, you know, in young people, so so it's clear that if you're under ten, the risks are really low. That's why in some jurisdictions they're like kids don't need to wear masks or whatever. Um, but but older than ten, you got to wear a mask. You're worried about um, transmitting. Um, Younger kids tend to either get that uh, blood vessel disease, which is super rare, the the pseudo Kawasaki disease. Um, Sorry, is that see, is that a byproduct of co of COVID? Yeah, you so okay. you get infected, in, and this is the side effect where it's affecting endothelial cells, so the cells that make up your blood vessels. And so the kids will have blown out blood vessels in their feet or hands, and some adults get it as well. And that's the only oh. sign that they have any COVID nineteen uh, infection. And and 
if you have that in an older person, what we think now is they can start having microclots and throwing clots. So you could be a 25-year-old and be throwing off clots. And in general, your body's not going to respond or they might be so small they don't have an effect. But you could be unlucky and one gets stuck in your lung and you have a pulmonary embolism. Um, they could they could cause minor ischemic damage in your heart, or it could be even like full-on heart failure. And and it looks like the consequences of this are also a little bit of autoimmunity that can be triggered. And again, it's not everyone, but there'll be a percentage of people who develop this. And so just because you're under 30 doesn't mean that you don't have the potential for some of these more serious side effects just because of the large numbers of people that have been infected. And so, um, you know, you, you can't really be complacent. Like if it, you, you can't live your life like complete fear because we'll just end up with a country full of agoraphobics who can't leave yeah. their homes. But at the same time, you, you have to do things that are reasonable to reduce your risk. So wearing mm -hmm. a mask, mm -hmm. keeping distant, not gathering in large groups and not thinking that it's cool or that you should do this because I'll just get COVID and then I'm fine. But what about my freedom? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. I don't want anybody stomping on my freedom. Hey, hey wrong, wrong podcast. Yeah, wrong po wrong yeah. podcast. <laughs> We're on the wrong network. Show me your Proud Boys tattoo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Um, I, uh, I, am, I am curious to come back to this, uh, to the you know whales and dolphins and all those sea, those beautiful, beautiful sea creatures getting COVID. Um, if they did, let's say there was a COVID outbreak under under the sea, and yeah. Sebastian is got a real bad nasty cough. Uh, what kind of like aside from that being really sad, uh, yeah. is are there any other implications to us humans to if if that well, became a thing? Well, okay, so so let's back up. You know, I, I'll acknowledge that the most likely, if we're going to hear about infection with animals, it's either going to be like a third world country where there's just raw sewage pouring into a, a river and you've got a river water, you know, marine mammal, like right. some of the dolphins, uh, and, and then possible infection. The other, the other one happens, I think on, on coastlines where you've got maybe a concentration of some of this material, mm -hmm. uh, which is linked to infection. And then because they're highly social animals, it spreads really quick. The, the really likely at the top of the list is a, a gameskeeper or aquarium worker who has COVID-19 is asymptomatic and actually infects the animal they're looking after. Mm. And so this is like at the very top of the list. So like we're saying right now, if you're, you know, we're New York, the Bronx Zoo, you know, if you've got a beluga whale, you restrict access to people, to the beluga whale. They can't be within a certain distance. The animal can't be, can't have the same air exchange as the hundreds mm -hmm. of people in the crowd. And mm -hmm. the gameskeepers need to be checked periodically so they're not passing it to the animals. You need to monitor the animals. So, and beluga whales are predicted to be actually quite susceptible and sore sea otters and sore quite a number of seals, a gray harp seal, for example. Mm. Um, so, so it's really that, our interactions with these things. And the other thing that just makes me shudder is you've seen videos recently of where people you know, will pick up a seal pup and throw it in their boat and play with it and put it back. If the fisherman had COVID nineteen, yeah, that thing's infected, like yeah. really high uh, potential for infection to that animal. And then because they're social, they'll infect all the other animals. Yeah. And and another reason, even if they have mild disease, that you don't want that to happen is that if if they're an animal that has a small population of founders, right? So this is this idea of like you get too small and then you become functionally extinct. So not all the animals are dead, but their population's so small that literally any change to them. They don't have the genetic diversity to survive, and they're basically functionally extinct. You can predict they're going to be gone in 50 years kind of thing. Oh, uh, yeah. um, you don't want to tip an animal species into that 
because they're now more easily predated because they're a little bit, you know, having trouble, a little bit of respiratory uh, problems. They can't run from a polar bear on the ice. Uh, right, you know, these right. things, and then they just get predated, and then the population of animals drops below a cutoff point, and then that's it. They're functionally extinct. Mm -hmm. so, so those are the kind of things that I think, you know, you could worry about. But it's a really human contact with animals is is way more likely, could, especially in the context of aquariums. Right. Could right, you potentially... Right, right as a human being contract COVID-19 from a marine mammal right now? Like I was, so I was standing up paddle boarding. No so well, I was, I was standing up paddle boarding. I was standing up paddle boarding the, the other day on the um, St. Lawrence river and a seal came up right behind my board. And I was like nervous oh. because I was like, is he going to come on? Cause he was like right on like the edge of it. And I thought he was going to come up on it. And he looked really cute, and I thought, this is like a little water dog. Like, I could totally pet him, but I didn't want to get my fingers bitten off, so I refrained from it. Idea. But could it? So could he hypothetically cough on me, like, <clears throat> and then give me COVID-19? Uh, no. I, I, think, I think that the, right now, until there's huh? evidence that they're infected. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, my God, Graham, that's such a revelation. I could... <laughs> Brian, Brian, thank you so much for asking that question. You're welcome. I mean, it's I'm like, like a short answer. It's no. Uh, the odds are like really slim. But but if you if you had a uh, you know flipper at at Sea World who's coughing on people, then maybe that that's a potential exposure because the animal could die in the first place. Can you tell me how? People. Can you please do an impression of how a dolphin would cough? I have no idea, man. How, I, no yeah. idea. I don't seen even it. Try. Zoolander one. Oh really? The way that he coughs when he exits the the, the coal mine, the colon. Um, when he's got the, um, he says he's got the black lung. Wow. Uh, Graham, uh, I have we have one last question um, uh, because I'm looking at our, our pre-interview notes here that Lauren whipped up, and all all it says is ask about MC Hammer. All caps. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if you guys have been uh, following the science Twitter. So science Twitter is not oh. like regular Twitter. Regular Twitter is basically just everyone yelling at each other at the same time. Right. Uh, science Twitter is where generally uh, people are discussing ideas and thoughts and all, is it all walks of life. Is it actually Twitter? It's, it's still Twitter. Yeah. yeah. You just got it, the, the whole trick is, is you don't have a general account and try to follow science. You, you kind of make a separate account so that you can mm. really trim who you follow and who you mute. And, I don't block anyone. I think that's stupid, but you, you don't need them in your feed. So you sure, can meet right. people. Okay. Because, um, you know, everyone can be on the platform. Why block people? I think that's dumb. Mm. Um, but you, you can definitely mute people. And so I, you know, I, I curate my, my own personal account. So it's mostly just science Twitter. Right. And uh, suddenly we start seeing these posts of like really thoughtful, insightful comments and, and uh, highlighting of really neat stories and, and that, that, that transition from kind of popular science into like hardcore physics, chemistry, biology. And you look at the handle and it's MC Hammer. No. And, and everyone's the, like, like, what? This is the best thing. Like 2020 sucks. But the revelation that MC Hammer is like a science nerd. <laughs> like the one and only MC fantastic. Hammer? fantastic. Yeah. The MC, MC Hammer. Hammer. See, Dude, that... you can't touch this. <laughs> wow. Dude, this reminds me of science TikTok because it's kind of the same thing. I totally There's know There's a science TikTok? Yeah, for sure there is. 
Really? You just made that up. You just made that up. You just made that up. No, I didn't. It's, I'm dead serious. Yeah, you're dead serious the, that you think there might be a science no, TikTok. No, there is a science TikTok. <laughs> is, oh, that like, yeah. is that like Etsy? <laughs> no, is it MC, is it MC Hammer? Stories about pipetting and like centrifuge. <laughs> MC Hammer wearing parachute pants singing about science? There's a... Not yet, but, but no, come on. It's well, more serious than that. Yeah, too, yeah. A lot but, of this came out of the... the a little bit about Black Lives Matter and trying to be positive about Ooh. contributions of people of color to to science and research and trying to promote that. So that's another angle that MC there, Hammer is pretty. Yeah, there's there's a Forbes article here how MC Hammer and other performing artists are sharing the love of science. Yep. If you've been keeping tabs on MC Hammer lately, <laughs> you may have noticed that he spent the last few weeks enthusiastically talking about science on Twitter. He tweeted about gene found in neurons. Uh, about worm RNA and about slime molds and much, yeah. much more. That's yeah. really interesting. Oh, I'm, I'm going to take a deep dive into this. This is great. Yeah. Wow. So, so the highlight of Fucking 2020 MC for me was actually being followed by MC Hammer. No, no way! Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, now you're fucking definitely the coolest person we've ever had on the show. So uh, I was like, "Wow, does this happen? I've arrived." That's awesome. I'm uh, here. Well, this has, like I said, this has been. Uh, I knew it was going to be a treat, and uh, can't wait until you slide into the DMs a few weeks from now with some other wacky do study that you've found that's just going to blow our fucking minds out of the side of our heads. Uh, Dr. Graham Delaire, it's, it's a pleasure. Always is a pleasure. And I uh, can't wait to talk to you again. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Oh, it's always a pleasure. And again, you know, we should do this again for sure. Absolutely. And it doesn't have to Definitely. be my own research. I mean, that's a little bit, uh, you know, uh, narcissistic. I, I'm a general fan of research and science, and I think I can communicate in a way that's fun. And so if there if there's a science question that you're really interested in and including the people who listen to this podcast, people, yeah, uh, if you listen to Sick Boy and you got a question for Dr. Lair, uh, I'll do my best to, to do a great job on that. Yeah, yeah. What's your Twitter? What's your Twitter handle again? It's at Dr. Lair, D.O.C. Dallaire, D.E.L.L.A.I.R.E. And if you uh, forget that, just check the show notes, folks, and you can find him there. Thanks a lot, Dr. Dallaire. See you guys. All right, well, there you have it, folks. Dr. Graham Delaire. Check out that sweet, sweet, beautiful human on Twitter if you want to get your science fix. I'm sure we're going to have him back on the podcast. Um, and, oh, by the way, Google Snotbot and go watch that video. It is, it is the, it's the fucking coolest. It, these amazing drone shots. They got a camera on the drone while they're flying up to those those blowhole snot rockets and uh, cool, cool stuff. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that. Again, so sorry that we, we couldn't bring you the, the, the regular host sort of preamble there. Um, but, uh, but again, like I said, we'll be back next week. Uh, God damn it. I love all of you. Thank you so much for everything that you've done to help us get this far in this podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for telling your friends about it. Thank you for supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon, if you don't support us on Patreon, it's not like I hate you, but I don't love you as much as I do all of our Patreon supporters. So, eh, you know, whatever. Take it or leave it. Uh, okay. That's enough out of me. Love you all. Uh, my name is Jeremy. You are listening to Taylor and Brian. And this is Sick Boy.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.